Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're converting people one stomach at a time to what fresh food can taste like. You use whatever you can use and you respect every bit of it. You know, if it's in season, you use it. We need to study and we need to read and we need to know about our region and what it's doing before we can start putting things on dishes. Hello and welcome again to the Quicksand Food Connection. Today I speak with John Major. He is the man behind Burrowang's Major's Meats. They are a second generation butcher. John is now passing all his knowledge on to his son Matthew who processes all their cattle. Uh, John raises cattle purely on grass in the hills of their farm in Burrowang, and they sell them only out of their butcher stores in Mossvale and in Burrowang, and they process all their meat themselves. John uses passive techniques to raise his cattle, and they live a healthy and happy life. He's very passionate about what he does. He's been in the game for a long time, and he knows a lot about the meat industry and butchery. And I really enjoyed getting to know him. It's a beautiful place out there in Burrowang. And I hope that you enjoy my conversation with John Major from Burrowang's Major's Meats. Well, it all started when um, Dad's parents moved to Robertson. They owned land in Robertson. And Dad grew up as a kid, went to school till he was about 11. And that was it. And then worked um, with his parents and then later on a uh, horse and cart cutting meat around to people with his older brother. And then he, when he was 18, he met my mother, uh, got married and had a baby straight away, pretty quick. And they set up a um, little business in Robertson trapping rabbits at sixpence a pair. That was their first business. As he moved along, he got into farming. He bought his first farm, which was called Thornhill, which was about two kilometres down the road from here, and borrowed the money. First season, he grew a 10-acre patch of cabbages and paid for the farm in that season. And he just moved on from there. He was a cattle grower, tried sheep, but they all got foot rot because it was so wet in this area at that time. Um, so he basically was just got into buying and selling fat cattle, which went along beautifully till 1972. He was adding farms and you know buying and selling farms and just increasing things. Uh, in 72, he had a 
farm full of cattle, 700 cattle that were worth approximately $700 each on Monday and on Wednesday they were worth $200 each. So he was looking at a prospect of losing $500 per head for 700 cattle in 1972, which wasn't very nice. It was a um, financial problem. Anyway, so he got an idea. He said, well, I might be able to butcher these cattle because I was a butcher once when he was a kid. So he opened up the butcher shop in Burrowing that had been closed down and he started selling bodies of beef. And before long, he was selling 10 bodies of beef a week and he traded his way out of trouble. And it was so good, we just kept, well, he just kept the shop going. In 76, I left school and went into the butcher shop um, and I worked with him. Two years later, he had a heart attack and they thinned his blood down and he said, it's too cold for me in this place, you're gonna have to run it, we'll get another bloke to help you. So yeah, from 1976 onward, I've ran, well I ran the butcher shop up until five years ago when my son took over running it for me. Mm -hmm. Um, We grow our own beef and lamb on the farm and we put them through the shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, We control, nearly every aspect I don't breed I go to the Mossvale sales the Goulburn sales Braidwood sales and buy store cattle which is skinny cattle Uh, I bring them home I drench them with worm medicine and a 5-in-1 which which, um, protects against blackleg which is a a deadly disease around here or around all parts of Australia and put them out the pasture I grow them for approximately six months and at that stage they're 18 months old or, or around that around that age and then I take them to the abattoir, the abattoir processes them, bring them back to us in 24 hours and then we age them in our cool room. Uh, we, by doing this I control uh, what happens to those cattle. I can use passive techniques so they're not being uh, stirred up because when you stir something up, their muscles become tense and that's how you get t- That's one of the uh, symptoms of tough meat. Breeding is another. You've got to have decent breeds. I maintain that you can get good ones of most breeds. I prefer British breeds. I use Hereford, Angus and Murray Grey and some of their crosses. I steer away from um, limousin, although people say they are a good meat, which they are. The bodies yield well, so you get a high percentage of meat. It's a very low-fat meat, but it can have a very poor temperament, and if you don't have a little bit of fat in your meat, you don't have any flavour in your Mm, meat. Definitely. And... As you said, the sort of stresses on stresses on an animal is something that contributes to yeah. you know the, the tenderness of the meat. Um, and you talked about passive techniques. What what are you, what are you, what are some of those techniques? What's well, the difference between what you do. You, and- you see, I've got a dog. Yeah. That dog basically just drives around on the back of the motorbike. It's it helps me uh, get the sheep in because they are harder to to, um, to corral to get in the yards. But cattle are fine. I can just push them up slowly on the bike. The dog sits with me, and by not having a dog, you know, barking and chasing and stirring up, you know, that's that's 
you know, things like that. Electric prodders, when you're loading cattle on your truck, most carriers use electric prodders to get the cattle to go where they want them to, but that puts an electric shock through them. Have you ever been stung by an electric fence? You know how that feels. Yeah. Uh, I do use a bit of polythene pipe just to tap them and head them in the right direction, but it's a lot more mm. gentle than, um, yeah, those prodders. Yeah, and I guess during their lives, they've got a beautiful pasture out here. Yes, yeah, so. I've, I've, the paddocks were all large paddocks, and when I took over the place, when Dad passed away, I refenced most of the place. I made the paddocks all smaller, so I can put more cattle in a smaller paddock and move them around a lot more regularly. And I'm basically at this stage, they see me coming down the paddock, I go over, open the gate, they come up to the gate, I open the next gate, and they run straight into the next paddock. They know what the system is. Mm-hmm. So they just go to the next paddock of grass. Yeah, they're probably happy to get to the next place. Yeah, they are, because they've eaten that one out. Yeah. They're usually in there seven days. It takes them to eat out a paddock, and then I just move them into the next one. Mm-hmm. And they're happy munching away there, and seven days later, we're going to do the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And, then, and obviously, you know, you have control over that whole process of moving him to and from the abattoirs, taking him to your son and being able to liaise with the person who butchers the meat to, you know, the standard that that, that you want out of the beef um, is a great way to control that as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, you you still sell your meat through the old butcher in Burrowang and then you've also got a location in Mossvale. Yeah, we... <laughs> In the last two years, we've opened a shop in Mossvale. We've operated in Burrowing for 40 years. And, well, might be more now. Since since 72, yeah. <laughs> you do the maths. Um, yeah, we've, and we operated well, but Burrowing is an ageing community. Uh, it's, uh, the land there is very dear, so you find it's really retirees and Sydney people buying all the land, and they're only there two days a week. So our retail business there was dying our wholesale business is fantastic we have a lot of restaurants and um, different places around the area that we supply mm-hmm. but we just felt we needed to boost the retail so we opened up a shop in Mossvale and it's fantastic yep mm. great um, and you you found I guess with opening that new location in Mossvale you'd probably be attracting new customers as well as you know having people that might be used to coming out to borrowing to get their meat well, nowadays the problem with getting people to come from in town to borrowing is convenience is a very important part of a person's life and it's too mm-hmm. far for people to drive to borrowing. So that's why we figured if we go to Moss Vale to them, which they've only got to drive down the street, we're opposite the supermarket so they can go in and get their groceries and then hopefully come across to us and, and buy their meat, mm-hmm. which, which a lot of them are doing. We do do a good product. Course. Um, you know, if I look after it all while it's alive, and then once it's hanging in the shop, Matthew takes over, and we hang our bodies for you know a long period, like they're hung for a week, and then the, we break them up and we get we sell all the sausage trimmings. We put them in sausages and sell all the mints while they're still fresh, and then everything else goes into cryback. The rumps, the, you know, all the good quality steaks and things mm-hmm. like that go into cryback and. You don't get to eat one of them until they're six weeks old, yeah. because the aging process, uh, you know, post mortem is a, is also a very important thing mm-hmm. in tenderness, and that is something that we have over supermarkets, because they're trying to show off their meat 
when it looks best, when it's when it's day old or two days old, it's at its best looking, but there's no way it's at its best eating. So, mm. yeah. And how do you sort of, how did you come to that? You know, I mean, about the six week mark, you find that find that it's a good point for you to to be able to start selling. Well, you can go longer, but um, depending on the the temperatures of your cool room. If your cool room runs at zero to one degree, you could keep it in there for eight weeks, 12 weeks, because it's basically frozen. But our cool rooms run on two to three, um, which means the aging process just goes that little bit faster. Um, and we've trialed it. We've, we've, we cryobacked them for a week. We've cryobacked it for two weeks. We've cryobacked it for three. And we've found by doing it six, You've got, your meat is tender, but you've still got, after the cryobacks opened, you've still got a, a, a sort of storage life. You can still keep it two to three days. But oh, okay. If you've kept it for 12 weeks, you open that cryback bag, you have to cook it straight away. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, now we've found six weeks at the temperatures we store it is about right. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying before as well, not only do you have people coming into Mossvale and burrowing, um, you supply a lot of local chefs around the Southern Highlands? Yeah, we could do a lot of restaurants. Um, I can name, well, yeah, I'll name it. some. We supply the Robbo Hotel. Um, we supply the Cafe in Robertson. We supply the Burrowing Hotel. We supply two hotels in um, Mittagong. We supply um, the Imperial, which is the top place for a meal pub-wise uh, and almost restaurant-wise in town. Um, and you su- said, and I think you said uh, they they have like a special request for ribeyes from you, don't they? Yes, yeah, we do a dry-aged ribeye for them. Um, I think it's, um, it's 28 to 35 days dry-aged in our cool room. They're the only ones we actually dry-age mm-hmm. for because um, there's a lot of... When you dry-age something... You're not crybacking, you're just hanging it in the cool yeah. room. And the outside skin of the meat does go dark, so all that meat has to be discarded once you cut it off. So it makes it a dearer product. But um, it's it's a selling, you know, it's it's good advertising for them. They, mm-hmm. they sell it that way, but the meat is bloody beautiful. Yeah, meat. exactly. Yeah. And I guess the advantage of being a small local butcher and having that close connection to the chefs that serve your meat to their customers is that they can make special requests from you and you can provide them that sort of service. And, and that, that's sort of what develops a good food community and, and, and you know, good culture between, between the producers and the chefs. Relationships are probably the most important. Yeah. And I've said that in, in other forums before. I've had people say, oh, we, we don't know if our butcher's any good. And I said, well, go in and see him and talk to him and make him your friend and tell him what you want. And if he's a decent person, which most butchers are, they will sell you what you actually want. <laughs> like you might want to buy for price and they'll sell for price. You might want to buy for quality and they'll sell for quality. Yeah. Uh, and Matthew, is, he's pretty good at that sort of thing. He's got a good, lot of good relationships with all these chefs he supplies. And, and they trust him. They'll ask for something. He'll say, look, it's no good. It's not old enough. It hasn't got enough age. I don't want to sell it to you. And they'll say, oh, okay. Well, what will we do? And then he'll come up with some other idea in a way. They'll have a different menu for a week or something yeah. like that. And I think, I, I guess, the, a, lot of, a lot of chefs as well, 
now start to sort of develop their menu based on what products are available to them. So if they and and their menu might change frequently. So if they talk yeah. to someone like Matt and then. Um, Matt, they might have their their eye on an eye fillet that week, but it might not be ready. And well, I got this. This might be good. Yeah. Then yeah, it's always adaptable. Yeah, and we are we do sell a fair bit of meat now, so you know it's very rarely we don't have what they want. But you know, look, they might want you know a dozen long fillets, which takes six bodies out of action straight away. So you might run short. So we might have to you know say, well, look, it's going to take us a couple of weeks to get those ones, or you know we can we you know we can supply most things but you do run out of things it's like everything you don't yeah. always have full supply of everything yes yeah, yeah especially if you're a relatively small producer you can't yeah. you can't you know everyone wants i feel we, like everyone wants we are a small producer but it is amazing how much meat we sell out of those two little shops yeah how many bodies do you go through 14 13 to 14 bodies of beef a week 20 lambs about 20 pigs and thousands of kilos of chicken, mainly chicken breasts. It's unbelievable. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Yeah. And I guess um, one of the other aspects of this this book is the recipe you gave us. One of the things that you know comes into the business as well as the famous majors Burrowang pies. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about those ones? Well, it depends. Have you spoken to Matthew yet? Because his story is completely different. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, the story was, well, when we started butchering, we'd butcher away and then things get tight, so we'd have to come up with an idea, you know, some sort of gimmick to, you know, sell stuff to people. And our first one was we started making ham and bacon, which we still do, and it's it's a great seller. And then we went along, things were fine, and then we needed some another injection, so we opened up a catering business, which is... Out, really outgrown us there's more work than what we can do there and another time we started making beef beef and chicken pies and Vicky just was went through her old her mother's old recipe books and you know books she had and comes up with this beef pie so we started with that and she started cooking and adding this and adding that and we got this recipe and started making these pies and then, yeah oh yes they're nice they're selling fine they're beautiful Anyway, one day this old guy comes in. His name's Graham Kennedy. You might have heard of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, he said, he, what are these? Yeah, they're our beef pies. We just started making them. Everyone reckons they're beautiful. So, All right, I'll take a couple. So he takes a couple of pies, goes home, and next week he comes back. He says, yes, you're right. Those pies aren't bad, but they're lacking, they're lacking something. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, what's that? And I said, Vicky, you've got a, got a complaint over here. He said, no, it's not a complaint. It's an additive. You need to add a little bit of nutmeg to the mix and that'll finish your pies off. So, right, we added a bit of nutmeg. Yes, they did taste better and they're beautiful. (laughs) So we went along with them for a while and then we started making the chicken pie as well. And then we thought we were pie makers and started making venison pies and all this and it just became too hard. So we just cut back, we make the chicken pies and the beef pies and it works well. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um... Yeah, I mean, the last thing I guess I'll ask you about is with the opening of your Mossvale uh, location and, you know, this sort of development of the business, have you known, have you, have you sort of noticed that the food culture in the Southern Highlands people are taking more of an interest in what you guys do as producers and also, you know, on the retail side and rather than just, you know, 
just saying, bugger it, I'll go get all my stuff from the supermarket because it's much more convenient. People are sort of seeking out producers like yourself. Is that something you've noticed sort of recently? Is it something yeah. that's building? Yeah. Well, for for instance, I hadn't sold a shoulder lamp for, I reckon, 15 years. <laughs> And then next thing you've got these cooking shows on TV, well, the first thing that goes on a lamb for the last five years has been the lamb shoulder. And they are, you know, cook them slow, they're beautiful. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it is turning. Like, convenience, is, it is important to people. They're always in a hurry. Well, life's life, everyone's busy, stressed and all that sort of stuff, and it's, it's just easier to get at the supermarket. But there are people nowadays that want to know what they're eating. And... We can tell we we know what we're supplying. We control everything. It's our meat. So yeah, if you deal off us, you know what you're eating, and and people are looking for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I've even got a next door to our butcher shop that lives a an organic veggie man that's got a farm. Like organic in this area was never heard of a while ago, but you know, yeah. people are worried about what they eat, and more power to them. I reckon. Yeah, we've got the product for them. Exactly. And, yeah, and I guess. You know, when I talk to old chefs that have been in the game for a long time as well, they used to even put a lamb shank on the menu, and people wouldn't want to eat it because they go, "That's the that's the crap, isn't it? You don't want to you don't want to eat yeah. that sort of thing." And yeah. now I think, you know, with with people's interest in food, with shows like MasterChef or whatever whatever cooking show it may be, people are learning how to turn these what were called secondary cuts of meat into something beautiful you just yeah. got to know how to how yeah. to do it how to yeah. cook it you can't just throw you can't just throw it on the barbie or or whatever no. not all of them no and no there's certain steaks for barbecuing and stuff like that yeah there's certain meats that you throw them on the barbecue no matter what you do they're going to be tough exactly but people have got to realize you can use you can use lesser cuts but you have to cook at a lower temperature and you have to cook for a lot longer yeah and you'll end up with like we can roast beef shin and it turns it melts in your mouth like butter yeah when we do that catering we cook whole butts of beef on the bone and they're a 30 kilo piece of meat with the leg bone still in it and the f- people come around and they all want to eat the shin and, and that's the same as a lamb shank yeah so yeah definitely just cook it slowly I mean even I, since I've been cooking I, I've noticed the price of those sorts of things increase like my my mum used to be famous for osabuco mm-hmm. and you know, you used to be able to get you used to be able to get shin for two or three dollars a kilo, and now you know you're lucky if you get it for eight, eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. No, the well, meat prices have gone up, but yeah. as things become more popular, they do yeah. increase in value. And and the trouble is that yeah, those things are increasing, but something else is missing out on the other end yeah. of the line. Yeah, as you say. You know, something else might miss out yeah, at the end yeah. of the line. Like I, we need someone to come up with the idea for um, round and topside. Yeah. <laughs> um, silver side, there's still few people eating corned beef, which is a beautiful meal, but they haven't put that on any of those shows yet, so it's, it hasn't come come good. But yeah. like a shoulder of lamb, I hadn't sold one for so long, and now they're the first to go. Yeah. Round in topside in the old days people used to grill and fry it was tough didn't matter they ate it but yeah. people want more nowadays yeah. so yeah we need a new invention for those sorts yeah, of maybe, things yeah maybe someone can figure something out and, yeah um, and do it do you sell any offal out of your shop not a lot not a lot uh, yeah. we do a we do a pet mint that people buy um, there was a restaurant fella come and see Matt the other day was talking heart and stuff like that but I 
it's not there yet. It will yeah. happen. Yeah, I, I think... I was, I was listening to the ABC the other day and there was this um, fella from overseas and he cooks all awful. Yeah. Um, heart and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, we make a brawn where we put... Um, pig's cheeks and ox tongue and stuff like that in it. Yeah. And people love the brawn, but if we told them there was ox tongue in it, they probably <laughs> wouldn't eat it. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I guess that sort of thing, as you said, a chef sort of might, might have talked to Matt about using some heart and stuff. And for those things to grow in popularity, I think it does sort of start with, with the chefs who um, want to embrace that sort of nose-to-tail you know mm. mentality mm. and and by doing that figure out really interesting ways of using yeah. you know offal or other other cuts and things like that and you know once it starts getting used in maybe prominent restaurants and stuff like that it starts to trickle into the media into well, the mainstream and then you've just found over the you know the, the i said the shoulder lamb and all that and then you've got the american pork ribs like they're basically bone with a little bit of meat on them and they're they're one of the top selling pork dishes yeah. nowadays people love them yeah and in fact American pork ribs are dearer than bacon. Mm. Well, bacon is all meat. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's interesting, incredible. Isn't it? uh, but you know, things like that. They, they, they're, they're no good one day, and then when someone comes up with the right idea, they're fantastic, and mm. and that's what's got to happen, and it will happen. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, it's the dogs are having a great time on pet mints. Like they can't afford to eat <laughs> lamb shakes, so they've got to eat pet mints. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to the Quicksand Food Connection. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Major from Majors Meats. If you want to find any more information about Majors, you can find them online at majors.com.au and you can also find them on Facebook under Majors Meats. If you want to find out more about Quicksand Food, you can find us at quicksandfood.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Quicksand Food. And if you want any more of these podcasts, you can go to our website, quicksandfood.com, and you can download all the Southern Highlands Cookbook podcasts for free. So head there and listen to some of the other conversations. We hope you enjoyed this chat and we'll see you again next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.